This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 30th of October 2018, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my bleeping co-host, Jon. <laughs> I'm impressed, man. You didn't get thrown off by that. <laughs> hey, I'm a true professional. I don't know what at yet, yes, but I'm sure I'm a true say. professional at something. <laughs> ah, well, hi, Dave. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You're all packed. And yourself? I'm all packed. You're all packed. I'm Congratulations. All packed. I'm going I am to no London. Near packed. Um, I have lots of cardboard boxes everywhere. But, hey, <laughs> That's a different kind of packing. <laughs> That's a different kind of packing, yes. Yeah. If I turn up naked on Monday, it's because all my clothes were packed. Sorry about that. Okay, too much information, I think. <laughs> but for people who aren't totally confused yet and have uh, turned away from us, we're talking about the H2O World Conference uh, next week, Monday, Tuesday. Indeed, and the fact that I am also moving house, and therefore lots of packing is going on. <laughs> so yes, moving H2O Conference next week should be good. We look forward to finding out lots more. Yeah, I mean, in preparation, I've uh, actually went on their website and uh, subscribed to their uh, free trial. Which gives you a 21 so day. The, what does the free trial actually See, do? I was just about to say that, and you totally crippled my segue, so I'm going to just ignore you. Quite right. <laughs> actually, it's a 21 day um, uh, free trial for the, um, how, to, how do you call this? Driverless uh, AI? It's not driverless, it's. Uh, let's uh, try and figure out what it is. Yeah, it is, it is called driverless AI, which is mm-hmm. the H2O offering to do. Automated machine learning, let's say. Now, I was uh, afraid that this was going to be a way of uh, sending an email and then waiting three weeks for someone to ask you if you really wanted or something like that. But nope, sent the email, got the code within the hour, I'd say. <laughs> nice. And then uh, they actually came, kind of kept on following up. Uh, oh, you haven't downloaded it yet? You haven't downloaded it yet? Uh, no, I was expecting to wait three, four, five days for get the code, and now the code's here already, so help. But uh, anyway, I ended up... Uh, booting it all up uh, I've got the advantage of working for Microsoft Azure so I booted up in a v- VM on the cloud de- on the cloud there and mm-hmm. that all worked uh, pretty well um, they if you look at their documentation they do advise not to run it on Windows which I can fully understand <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this is of course machine learning it's Linux from the from the start so just have a little v- a win- uh, Linux VM here and uh, Yep, clear the clear information, clear uh, how-tos, a lot of documentation online. There was a bit of a desync between the version I'm, I've got on my trial and the documentation. Screenshots aren't exactly ideal, uh, identical, sorry, but yeah, that's how it works in uh, fast-moving uh, software like yeah. this. But uh, no, it also comes with a lot of uh, training set, data set, so you can just uh, play around with it. And uh, to be honest, I got kind of overwhelmed with all of the techno babble they threw at me because I knew I know a little bit about machine learning maybe a bit more than a little bit but uh, there's a lot more <laughs> nice so uh, that looks good so enough and 21 days is certainly uh, as long as you can dedicate a little bit of time to it so it's like a long enough sort of period of time to be able to dip your toes in and, and kind of find out a lot more about it um, yeah, uh, of course, this is just one part of it, because a lot of the stuff is just open source. Uh, they've got their uh, notebook uh, flow uh, thing, which you can just download and use uh, without any kind of license. So there's a lot of stuff more than just this. 
But uh, the main thing you need to learn here with the driverless AI thing, I think, is uh, how the interface works, What's the how flexible it is, what is allowed, not allowed, what can you do, what can't you do, how do you interact with the whole thing. And yeah, 21 days is plenty to do to get your feet wet. Nice. So, uh, well, we'll we'll check check in with you in about uh, 15 days' time to find out how you got on. <laughs> I'll hope it's a bit sooner because next week, first day, is going to be all training. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping to learn even more there. But it's always good to have a bit of an idea before you start a training course. Yeah. Just uh, to be able to ask intelligent questions and totally confuse the instructor. That's what my students always do when I give it uh, instruction. So. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. That could just be you, though. <laughs> <laughs> All so, right. Good stuff. So as well as um, dealing with... Uh, driverless artificial intelligence which just sounds very strange yes. to me <laughs> um you've uh, you've also been uh, fiddling away on the uh, roaring elephant's back end if you'll pardon the expression uh, for half an hour okay i got um, my shovel you mean <laughs> <laughs> maybe or, or really long gloves and some um and uh so we've we've had some some feedback that goes our clean tag literally <laughs> We've had feedback on and off um, over a little period of time, well, quite a period of time, that we hadn't really been able to tie down, of people having sort of different experiences listening to the podcast, um, either from the the player um, that's embedded in or from some of the other services like uh, iTunes and things like that, where sometimes if you paused and resumed, things didn't work as expected. And uh, just to let you know that thanks to all the people that carried on persisting with giving <laughs> us that feedback, we did eventually track down what was causing that somewhat odd behavior. That's all fixed. It should all work. You should be able to pause, resume, jump to any part of the podcast while listening to it, uh, and that should all work great. For anybody that says, well, I never have any problem, you're probably using something that actually does then uh, a download, a, a complete download to your phone or device of choice and just you play the mp3 straight from that so this is mainly for people that were streaming it from some method or something like that yeah i'm totally impressed that we solved that problem yeah yeah we did it was great i was i was all in <laughs> it's the royal we it's the team we yeah um, well for a bit yeah, more technical back end perhaps it was to do yeah. with the fact that we didn't serve 206s but only served 202s and that's yeah, exactly figured out those, damn those 206s yeah and the reason behind that was that i don't just use apache or nginx but i want to make sure you can't get the mp3 before the actual episode goes live so i have something built in front of that which wasn't intelligent enough there we go but now it is Super. now it's smarter than me <laughs> it's not hard i admit <laughs> right so moving on from uh, from how clever you are to how mature you are Hey, did you see that segue? That was smooth. I can't see um, segue on a podcast. <laughs> so moving on to the news, we have uh, what I thought was quite a nice article um, about uh, BI maturity. Now, we've seen some of these kind of things come up before. Um, I know that Hortonworks certainly did. I assume probably still does somewhere have a um big data maturity scorecard thing you can search on the website and see if you can find it but it used to be a thing that you could sign up for and enter some stuff and then it would tell you roughly where you were on the uh, big data maturity um, index well this is um something similar from a, a bi maturity perspective 
the nice thing that I think about this is the way that they categorize it is really, really clear and really, <laughs> um, really easy to understand. And the, the metrics that they use to describe the different layers, I think, are, are pretty good. And those are the architecture, the scope, the type of system, the analytics developed, the users, uh, what the focus of the BI is, and how. most interestingly, how executives perceive um, the product or the project, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, at that particular time. Um, so I don't know that I would I would necessarily say it's worth going through each and every one of these stages. Maybe we just run through the stages as a list and then uh, talk about some of the different um, some of the different sort of decisions they make along the t- along the way. Essentially, it it sort of breaks down as a um, the evolution of or well, the grow, growing up of somebody. So it starts off as first level is uh, prenatal, the second is infant, goes on to child, teenager, adult, uh, and then sage. Interestingly, it doesn't go doesn't fail it fail at the end with the decrepit, but there we go. <laughs> um, Nobody got that far it, yet. No, no, no. Well, I don't know because if you think about it, a lot of these systems kind of evolve through until it's the peak it's the very best of the best and then something new comes out and completely replaces it and then so that thing's decrepit when it gets uh, aged out but anyway uh, so it's the whole buddhist uh how do you call that uh, get reborn thing yeah uh, what's the name reincarnation reincarnation thank you before you get decrepit you become a prenatal again maybe maybe but it's it's some pretty sort of some pretty standard stuff so at the very beginning for example a lot of the executive perception is that it's it's a cost center. It's just something that costs, and it's the BI focus is all around you know what happened previously. Yeah. Whereas you know as you as you move up, it, you go up through like executive perception goes to inform executive. Up the next level is empowers workers. The next level up is monitoring processes. Next level up, dri- level up is driving the business, and then the final. Level up is uh, driving the market. So it's kind of a nice, I think it's quite a nice way of people maybe trying to understand, if you're trying to understand where you fit um, and you know, what your level of maturity is, this is quite a reasonable way of, uh, of trying to determine that. Yeah, I mean, I've seen something similar when you look at machine learning and stuff, where you go from the statistical mm. to the predictive and then the preemptive, not the preemptive, not mm. the, the, what do you call it, uh, make it happen uh, stages. It's a bit mm. similar here. Yeah. But as I say, it seems to be, it's broken down to a few a few more categories than I usually see. So I'll say that. I, I do the, I learned, I learned a new word here because at the infant mm-hmm. part, it says architecture is spread mart. Oh, spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Had to, yeah, spread mart. Never heard that word before. <laughs> yeah. And when I said it, which it is, uh, clicked. Which is, yeah, it's pretty disturbing because that's where <laughs> actually uh, so so many spread marts still exist in uh, in, in people world. who so who think that they're in a fairly mature situation. But there you go. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's quite nice. It's quite a nice little article. Um, things are broken down quite nicely, and I think it gives a nice way of describing the different phases. And you, if you're unsure where your organisation sits, it's probably a nice article to look at. 
But do you really think that in an organization, I mean, these uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bullet points are points of view, right? From the executive perception, yeah. the BI folk. Do you think that they're all of us always so nicely grouped? Because I can imagine no. that the executive person thinks he's driving the business while the analyst is still thinking I'm uh, an interactive report maker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. I think th these are like these are the, in the the perfect world tiers. But I think in many cases you're absolutely right that you know if 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 you were to pick this as a, so it might be more accurate to pick this as a scoring system from one mm -hmm. to six, and for each of those points, each of those um, you know seven points, you you essentially have a score of one to six depending on how far you know people people are in those different areas, mm -hmm. and you'll end up with some sort of average somewhere. Yeah. Well, I, I think guess. it's also useful maybe if you can s s look at your own organization and then s see that, I mean, f for five of the seven, we're in number three, and mm. one is in number four, and the other two are in number two still. Okay, let's mm. let's move up these first to the next level of their little subsystems before we move on. Because what often yeah. happens, well, maybe not often, what does happen from time is that in an organization you have different speeds, and yeah. because of different speeds, you get a disconnect and it all falls apart. Yeah. The other thing, of course, is the larger the organization, the more the more of a delta you'll see across that organization as well. Yeah, but then typically you will have within the organization different departments that each will have their placement in this, uh, yeah. in this, in this uh, level system. And having the different departments work together is a, total, a, different, total, a, to a totally different scorecard, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much then, so. Because again, the, the the real single data lake vision. Um, I haven't act on, on a real international multinational company. It's hard to 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 get off the ground because there's so many. Um, I think that dream is dead. Um, they're the, still dreaming, but it's just uh, unpractical. Yeah, I think I think the as as we discussed. Um, you know, relatively recent episode. Mm -hmm. I think the the world of the world of hybrid and and that side yeah. of things has has overtaken the single the single pure data lake vision. I yeah, think yeah, that's yeah, yeah. unless you're you know a, a regional player rather than a large multinational. Uh, I think I think that vision is dead. And even if you're you are a regional player, I, th I still think that the world mm -hmm. of of hybrid has overtaken yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the well, the single pure data lake vision. Well, the hybrid made it possible to bypass all the practical uh, unpracticalities of having a single data lake, so mm. it was no longer yeah. a necessity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But the dream is still alive. I assure you. Yeah, I think the, the the core concept is still there. Yeah, it's just the vision is still that there. the. Yeah, the, the the vision is still there. It's just that the definition has evolved, as as it always must. Yeah, well, as always, clinging to an ideal is usually counterproductive as well. So yeah, yeah. make go yeah. to strive for the ideal, but stick with what works. Yeah, and in fact, this is a beautiful segue. This is an episode of beautiful segues. Evolution, which you cannot stop. Um, evolution <laughs> on the the world of Hadoop storage. Talk to me about ozone. I won't talk to you about ozone. Hortonworks is talking about ozone because my little article <laughs> is a blog from Hortonworks and I'm just mm -hmm. a messenger. Uh, we've talked about ozone before in passing. Uh, it's the new data layer that's going to solve all problems. It's gone. It's. I'm not sure. I don't think it's in there yet. I don't think any distribution has. Definitely not, definitely not in uh, GA or anything. 
uh, general availability, but it is coming. And uh, one of these days, it should become part of your Hadoop cluster. And Ozone, um, well, it's a different thing. We haven't you haven't worked with it yet, so you have to get your head around it a little bit. And this little blog is a kind of high-level introduction, but it does kind of hit all the bullet points here. I mean, if you don't know what Ozone is at all, this one will allow you to at least understand what it's about, what it solves, and uh, why you should really look at it. And the reason I picked it out, actually, is because I found the link on the uh, Data Engineering Weekly email I, I'm still subscribed to. And in their little um, uh, summary, it says, Apache Hadoop Ozone, the object storage layer atop HDFS. And I've heard that before, and that's <laughs> not true. That's not right. So... I mean, Data Engineering Weekly have been around for a long time, so if they still make this mistake, it must be a mistake more people make. So just calling it out here that Ozone is not some abstraction layer on top of it. It's more like uh, like the Kudu thing we talked about oh, about a year ago, I guess I had a people from Kudu on the, on, the, on the show, where you have a different kind of uh, storage layer you can have next to your existing HDFS if you want to. Now, Rakudu is much more of a uh, NoSQL data store. Ozone, like HDFS, is more of a file system idea, just folders and files and ACLs and stuff like that. But it's, again, next to your existing HDFS. Now, if you have installed a Hadoop cluster before, you know that HDFS is nothing more than a bunch of uh, directories on disks which are grouped together logically in a file system. You can have Ozone next to that by making different subdirectories on those disks, I guess. Yeah, but but to be to be clear, Ozone is not a file system. It sort of looks and behaves like a, an object store, in effect. Um, yeah, but ACFS is also an object store. But if you do mm. an ACFS LS, you get a namespace. Yeah, it provides uh, POSIX like um, ACLs semantics and namespaces. Yeah. So for yeah. me, it has a file a file system interactivity. Let's say, but it has a it has a file system like feel, yeah. whereas Ozone does not. Yes, it does. Kudu does not. Maybe it doesn't. It you don't have the same POSIX-like semantics on Ozone that you do with HDFS. Okay, which one are you missing? As far as I'm aware, because one of the big differences between HDFS and Ozone is the fact that the limitation on the namespace uh, memory, uh, which causes HDFS to at a certain point, not grow anymore because your namespace doesn't grow anymore. That is solved in Ozone because the namespace can have much more uh, objects in there. And yeah, they're calling yeah. them objects, but the HDFS also has objects. It's just you you access them through a namespace, and that namespace is still available in Ozone. So I think it's going to be much more sim- uh, similar than you think. Mm, maybe. Thing, th- right. Things like uh, Spark and Hive have uh, its plugin replaceable. They will not notice a difference. But uh, so, but Ozone is a, essentially it's a key value store. Mm, yes, all namespaces are. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> as you can hear, even for article, us, it's still new. <laughs> it is. It is. But and that's are, why it's important are, to to look at this stuff. Indeed, and we are having uh, conversations with getting some of the Ozone team on the podcast in the yes. near future. So that's what happens. Stay soon-ish. tuned for that. Because again, uh, questions answered. Uh, this should become a quite important uh, part of any Hadoop environment. 
And because it's also compatible with the Hadoop file system abstraction, it should also become somewhat visible in the whole cloud and hybrid world as well, I would assume. Because there as well, you kind of hit some of the HFS uh, limits these days. But uh, yeah, interesting article, not because of the depth, but more of the breadth, because it does talk about how it stays consistent, how it's apparently architecturally simple, but still big can grow up to mm-hmm. 100 billion objects in a single cluster. If you ever thought about using HDFS Federation, think about that no more. Uh, recovery stuff as well, so it stays uh, safe. Uh, HDFS only recently got its uh, RAID-like uh, uh, resilience. Uh, what's it called again? The, the parity disk idea. The erasure coding Erasure coding, stuff. thank you. So that's also going to be an ozone, same kind of thing. So there's no going backs. It's all going forward. Remains open source. Um, it has the Hadoop-compatible file system API, a.k.a. OzoneFS. See, that's where the whole mm-hmm. file system namespace comes in. It still does data locality, which kind of surprised me, to be honest. Because data locality, yeah, definitely on the on the big clusters, that still makes sense. Although with uh, gigabit and uh, faster networks, it's become less of a necessity, let's say. And in anything that does uh, virtualization, it's an impossibility. But yeah. apparently they still keep it in there. Well, I think, as you say, they keep it in there for on-prem architectures, but it, as you as you also mentioned, it, it does or does say in here for applications that choose to use it. So for certain mm. scenarios, it just won't make sense. Yeah, and I was kind of expecting with uh, the, the higher point there being uh, more uh, easy uh, architectural simplicity that that was going to be one of them of, of the little things that fell off the cart. But apparently, mm. that even that stays in there. Uh, yeah, the side by side deployment HDFS talked about that already, and there's some links to the Apache Hadoop Ozone. Uh, uh, sorry, Apache Org Ozone page as well, which, as uh, Dave remarked earlier before we started recording, is one of the prettiest uh, Apache pages we've seen so far. It's quite nice. It's very it's simple. Nice. It's, uh, it's digestible. Mm, <laughs> it is. Quite it often, is. these Apache sites are so full of information that it's hard to to follow along what's happening. This is a almost commercial page, I must say. Yeah. Um, and then the one thing that I did notice that is quite nice uh, is if you do hit that uh, that link to the apache.org site, so it's hadoop.apache.org slash ozone, um, and scroll all the way to the bottom, there is a, a link to a Catacoda example, uh, which can be used to try out ozone without a download, which actually managed to sidetrack Jan and myself for a good kind of <laughs> five minutes while we were clicking through it and going, oh, this is quite interesting, um, before we even started recording. So it, it actually goes through, allows you to you know create a volume and create a new bucket and upload a new key and check the key object and all sorts of exciting things. Uh, and you know essentially you you get to just uh, create a new uh, a, a new ozone environment. So yep. if you want to get sort of a little bit hands on with it, then uh, uh, without actually even downloading something, then uh, go for it. Yeah, and also considering this is on the original uh, Ozone Apache page, uh, it's got to be running a recently, uh, a, a fairly recent version of the whole thing. So while the project goes on, you'll be able to see how it changes and uh, just play around with it. I was expecting it to be just kind of a, a mock-up of the whole thing, but nope, it starts up a whole Docker container with uh, the software running. Does appear to. If it's a fake, it's a very good fake. It's a very convincing <laughs> fake. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, very nice. Yep. Anyway, Ozone. We'll be yep, we'll be hearing more about Ozone in the future. Uh, not just on this podcast, but I believe that we'll be seeing a lot. Oh, we'll even though we're we're probably not going to be doing a predictions show this year, but will will twenty nineteen be the year of ozone? <laughs> um, ah, maybe too soon. Maybe second half. Yeah, but, maybe. Uh, I mean, but it's gonna I think, take a while. Right? I think people will start start uh, playing with it a lot more. Um, yeah, I think it's going to go back to the whole thing we talked about last episode, about the, the whole uh, public cloud not needing the big clusters anymore, because one of the mm. driving factors for Ozone was the fact that the big monolithical clusters, the file system space became too narrow. They needed more bigger spaces. But since the big data lake uh, ideal doesn't get, uh, isn't the idea anymore, they have a lot of smaller data stores. Do we still need it? It's going to be a bit of a question of how the demand is going to remain here. Of course, the demand will be led by the, I don't know, Twitters, LinkedIn's of this world who really want the big sizes. So it's probably going to come, but... Yeah, there's, there, there, are still, there are still organizations out there building, you know, massive data lake environments. So I think, I think that side of things is still here to stay. You know, yeah. not for everybody, for, for sure, but... Uh, Hey, if it's a drop-in replacement, then people yeah. might not even notice it changed. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. I think people. we're probably a little way away from that. But. Yeah, and still for people maintaining these clusters, you guys need to be aware of the changes, of course, because uh, you get all different kind of Java stack dumps. <laughs> oh, God, why is Java so miserable? <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, I... Uh, don't know what happened there. I think there was some interference. I think someone cut into the audio stream. No idea what happened there at all. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's a sign. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it's a sign that that's all the time we have today. Uh, yes, it is. And I hope you enjoyed this uh, serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Probably something to do with H2O. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hoopcast tag and contact us by email at podcast at roaringelephant.org. Send us any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. I look forward to talking to you about H2O next week. See you then. Bye.